0: So Clara, do you think that America is more like a melting pot or a salad? Say a salad? Okay, I was gonna say a chowder or a hot pot. Because I feel as if, you know, like the flavors are all integrating and it's great and they make great soup and things like that. But you can see the components and, you know, some of them might be disintegrating and but they're all but it's all delicious. Like it's just really tasty. I'm really hungry. (laughs) I need some nutrients right now. I've been sucking on these pistachios for hours. (laughs) Wow. Maybe we should do something about that. We should we should have hot pot and then we should discuss like.
1: What this nation is coming towards while eating hot pot and chaleries right. and things like that. Grab some hot pot listeners and uh <laughs> get ready for our episode on being mixed race. Hi, I'm Cynthia. And I'm Clara. And you're listening to
2: Voices. 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 Yeah. It's like the word? Yeah. Voices. Voices.
1: On CornellRadio.com. So to start this episode, we're going to be looking at the perspectives of three different mixed people. So, of course, there's me. I'm half white, half Chinese. Then we have my good friend, Nick.
3: Quarter white, quarter Salvadoran, and then half half Arab.
1: And finally, we have Anjali. Um, I'm Anjali Smith. I'm half Indian from India and half
4: I guess, like, European mud.
1: So the first question I asked them is about how they came to identify themselves. How did they reconcile the different ethnicities and cultures they were a part of?
4: I grew up pretty much in the same place for all my life, which is, like, I grew up in America, so I always primarily thought of myself as American, but my mom really pushed her culture on me because she didn't really want me to lose like her culture or her language and so like she wouldn't speak english to me at all and she would only speak uh malayalam to me uh and so i'd like try to talk to her in english and she'd be like i don't understand you it's just really? to suck if you don't speak in malayalam um, so i was kind of like pushed into learning that but i'm really glad about it now um because like half of my family still is in india and so it's just good to be tied to that side of my life um, and then also she pushed like, so like she brought me off a Hindu and my father brought me a Christian, and so it's just, it's nice to have, I guess, as much, as many options as I can. And then she also, so there's like a dance form which is strongly tied to the Hindu religion. which She also um, pushed me into as well. And like, I'm saying pushed, but there was a point where like it stopped being like she had to push me to do this and it was something I enjoyed.
1: When did it switch from being, like, something that she was pushing on you and something that you wanted to, like...
4: It was kind of hard, because, like, in grade school, if you do something, like, different and weird, like, mm-hmm. people generally generally aren't receptive to it. And so it probably, like, halfway through middle school, when, like, I kind of realized it was something that was really interesting, and, like, my... Like, people around me also were like, it's different, but it's cool. Mm -hmm. Like, that was kind of where the transition happened, I guess.
0: (laughs) So, although Nick is half-Palestinian, a quarter Salvadorian, and a quarter white, he says...
3: For the most part, I identify as a (laughs) Palestinian-American. That's my dad's side of the family. I lived with my grandparents, with his parents, who, you know, they're, they're from... They're from the West Bank. And for the first maybe three years of my life, and then about a year and a half uh, between fifth and sixth grade. So, and we see them every single week. We see, you know, cousins and, and everybody because we all live relatively close to each other just about every week. So, I go with Palestinian American.
1: This is Claire's perspective on her identity. For me, I think I've always felt a little more white than Asian, even though I'm half and half. My mom, her family didn't really pass on a lot of. Traditions and there wasn't a lot of like speaking Chinese at home. It wasn't forced on her the way um, Anjali's mom, you know, sort of pushed her into the dance form or pushed her into the language. So she, you know, tried to instill like some sort of learning about Chinese culture in me, but I think I always felt like I understood quote-unquote white culture because you know who what is white culture anyway maybe it's just the absence of other cultures I don't know but I didn't really feel like I was living in a Chinese household or like a, a very there wasn't a very strong Chinese presence in my life other than you know weekly Friday night Chinese school for all of elementary and middle school you know. We then asked them if they had faced any stereotypes. I feel like people
4: associate the stereotypes of your other culture with you, even if you're half-mixed, but, like, Mm -hmm. it's weird because, like, to white people, you're not really white, and so they associate those stereotypes with you, but then, like, to your... Like, for me, like, for my Indian relatives, it's like, I'm not entirely Indian, and so they associate, like, white
1: stereotypes with me. Yeah, kind of facing it from both sides. Yeah, yeah.
3: I get you. There is this one kid who, um... He was an Orthodox Jew, and not that I have anything against Orthodox Jews. I mean, I never did anything to him. I was just like cool, you know, whatever. Um, we were in a we were in a few classes together actually, but he would periodically uh, make comments to me about how awful Palestinians were, and um, that wasn't, it's just made me feel uncomfortable, and it's something that I just, I don't know, I kind of just ignored. And unfortunately, in the United States, it's, there's already, you know, Islamophobia, like that, that does exist. Um, And then kind of tied in with that, there's this whole, I think, deep, deep deep-rooted mistrust of Arabs in general <laughs> you know you have your you have your, your muslims and then you have the arabs and as as a palestinian you know that you're like on the bottom of that pile
1: So Nick talked about some of the discrimination he's faced as a Palestinian American. So that's like discrimination towards a single part of his identity. Anjali talked about being seen as white by her Indian family and Indian by her white family and society at large. I'd like to introduce another stereotype mixed people at large may face. In societies where being mixed is viewed favorably, I think there's this idea that mixed people are like exotic and beautiful and special and we're like the quote unquote future babies and we're gonna change the world (laughs) and make it a more unified society. (sighs) but Cynthia and I talked to a professor of anthropology and this doesn't seem to be the case.
2: So um, I'm Viranjini Munasinghe. I'm a historical anthropologist who works in the Caribbean, uh, specifically the country of uh, Trinidad.
0: So the reason why the Caribbean is so fascinating to study is because it's filled with people of different heritages. What a lot of people don't know is that there is a sizable population of East Indians, Indians from India, that is, living in Trinidad.
2: You know, we usually tend to think of the Caribbean as a black space because that's the imagination we have, and that's how we have interacted with the Caribbean, right? So to think of um, South Asians who've been there for like, you know, way over a century. So when i went to trinidad the national dialogue was all about the south asians wanting to be legitimately seen as part of the Caribbean and Trinidad in particular. So what have you found from that, that whole observation of Um, South Asians? Actually, you may not like the the response in some ways because I know what, I I love the fact that you came with this um, idea of mixture Mm -hmm. and thinking about the future with all this mixing that's going on, but the Caribbean is fascinating precisely because mixture came to define what is native in um, the Caribbean because everybody else came from somewhere else. But mixture in the Caribbean also meant to be Creole. That Creole term inc- included only the white and the black mixture, that spectrum, right? And what was fascinating, what my great find, I guess, in some ways was to think, oh, how come, if mixture is such a fundamental principle of being in, in the Caribbean and being native here, why are East Indians, which is what they call themselves, or what they're traditionally called, why are they resistant to being acknowledged as mixed? And why are they actually also left out from the mixed category?
0: Yeah, so from that observation, from those questions that you've Mm. derived, have you found any kind of reasoning for that?
2: It's... Uh Well, I mean, my argument basically, and that's, I guess, why I said you may not like the response, because we think, no, I mean, at least I even didn't like what I, in terms of a hopeful future yeah. or something, uh, you know, where you think the more interaction, the more mixed folk you have, that all the misunderstandings are going to frizzle away and somehow, you know, we'll all become one in this kind of perfect universe. But um, it's it's fundamentally, I think, if you have a principle of nationalism which works on the basis of you you have to define who you are, right, and why you are entitled to the privileges of the state and the nation, you have to define who is then not, right? Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. In Trinidad, what was beautiful and uh, wonderful and different and yet kind of so sad at the same time was that um, native, category, Creole mixed could include so much and then leave out what is defined as the pure, which was the pure blooded East Indians or the South Asians. Right. So it's like mixture has its limits.
1: So if we have this preconception that having mixed babies and putting cultures together will lead us towards peace, then this study of East Indians living in Trinidad does not give us much hope. What, what you have, essentially, is a population who are founded on the idea of being mixed, excluding other people from joining their multicultural community. What does that mean for the future? Professor Munasinghe clarifies.
2: You know, mixing per se cannot, I mean, has the potential Mm -hmm. or mixed peoples just through their individual experiences and familiarities they can develop can be a rich site and potential to breaking barriers, I think, you know? I mean, it's, and and other social scientists have, historians particularly have written very thoughtfully about that, um, that maybe if we remember even our mixed past, which we have silenced or not, mm-hmm. um, you know. Maybe we we'll think differently about these people or that people. But for me, that alone is not adequate. As long as you have a world that keeps redefining itself on nationalist terms, mixing doesn't can be always co-opted as a as a, a form of either to exclu- exclude them because they are impure Mm -hmm. or mixing becomes purity actually can i add just this one thing when i say i mean my my historical take on mixing Mm -hmm. is that all of us, every ethnicity that thinks of themselves Mm -hmm. as pure like who are chinese it's han Like when we say Chinese, it's a particular group, Mm -hmm. right? Or take, for example, the English, who we call the English. It depends on how far back you go. Are they Celts? Are they Roman? Are they Viking? Are they Germanic? Mm -hmm. Are they French? Norman. At some point in the 17th, 18th century, you know, this idea of English comes out, Right? it's now nobody thinks of english as mixed right yeah but if you looked at talked about it in the 10th century 12th so i that's why i think in in and of itself doesn't have the potential if it's builds another purity Mm, i see english is a purity
0: I suppose this redefining of, of mixture and what is pure or, or, or mixed mm-hmm. is just going to keep going on and on and on
2: like maybe indefinitely like we will as long as it's relevant for some reason mm-hmm. you see like nationalism wouldn't have didn't really exist before 17th and 18th century yeah so, right mm-hmm. people didn't how did they think of themselves before mm-hmm. not In terms of those categories, maybe the province, the region, the local—you know—so there's always um, a way of that human beings need to classify who they are, right? Yeah. But, um, or but it doesn't have to be on the same terms. And I, I guess the terms we have received historically in the past few. Centuries have been incredibly destructive in some ways. Wonderful, but also destructive. So, mm-hmm. proper for the black kids, too
0: black for the Mexicans. What's normal anyway? What's normal anyway? What's normal anyway? I mean, what's normal anyway? What's normal anyway? What's normal anyway?
1: So, in conclusion, we're all mixed. <laughs> because it depends how far back you go. Yeah, I mean, like, Neanderthals
0: and—what and was the other one? I don't know. Oh, you know the other ones. They had, like—I think it was the Neanderthals with, like, the huge foreheads, and then the other ones were not the huge foreheads. And then there was a mixture of the two, and and we were all—we're all humans. Yeah. Hmm.
1: We'd like to thank our interviewees for this episode, Nick Jadala, Anjali Smith, and Professor Munasinghe. Um, I'd like to put in a plug for the Mixed at Cornell Club. I found Anjali through that club, but the Mixed at Cornell Club basically creates a community for people who identify with mixed heritage to find a place to share their stories and experiences. And if you want to listen
0: to more stories like this, tune in to WVBR, WRFI, SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash voices dash podcast. And iTunes.